You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Well, Norris, it's so good to have you on Real Faith Stories. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's truly my pleasure and my joy to be here. By way of introduction, I'd like to read something that you shared with me, and it's this. Everyone has a reason to be on this planet. Every person has an identity that Jesus wants them to know. Everyone can hear the voice of God. It's not just for the, quote, experts. God loves to speak to every ordinary person, no matter where they are on this planet. By the way, who wrote this? That statement comes from my father, and that's what he used to tell me when I was a little boy. I'm 63. And my memories of those moments are still as fresh as they are right now of my father telling me those things and to make it a kind of a mission in my life to get people to hear from God themselves. As a boy, I began to hear God's voice from myself. It changed me. How old were you, Norris? I was in grade school, so somewhere around seven, eight, nine. Is that something you were seeking? proactively, or was this one of those experiences where it just started happening? I don't think I was seeking it proactively as a child, but actually someone came to me a couple years ago and said that she'd had a vision about my life. And there was a woman singing the voice of God into my life. And I was 61 at the time. And she said, I think it was your mother. And it just flooded back all these memories. My mom, she held me as a baby and sang to me. And I think that that's what happened. She sang God's voice into my life that I would always be able to hear and know his voice. So early on, I just had an awareness of his presence and his voice. And there were times when, when I would just be with him, kind of looking at the room, kind of above my classroom or in these situations. And it just, you know, as a child, you're not fully aware of all that's happening. But when I look back now, that's where it started. My mom singing God's voice into my life. And it, yeah, it's carried me through all these years. Well, it sounds like your parents had a dramatic influence on your relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And, and they were just regular folks. My dad was a businessman. My mom was a housewife. And, you know, they were, they had lots of flaws, lots of problems, but they remained faithful to the Lord all their lives. During those years, when I was just learning about who God was, one specific memory was I was about nine or 10 years old. And my, my dad used to read to me and he knew I loved science and math. And so he was reading to me about the speed of light. And so I can still see the room. I can smell the room and he's reading this to me and he says, you know, the speed of light is 186,000 miles a second. And he said, you can't see it. It's too fast. And he said, now, if you were able to travel to Pluto and back traveling at the speed of light, how long would it take? You know, and I said, I don't know. And he said, even traveling that fast, it would take you 30 years. That's how far away it is. You know, I'm nine or 10, so that's just kind of blowing my little mind. And and he said, and if you could travel faster than the speed of light, aging stops. 
So again, mind blower for a little kid, right? So because light changes everything. And then he looked at me and he says, and God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. He is the ageless one. And then he looked at me again and he said, and this ageless one is looking for you. So I've always had a this big view of God, how big he is, how he holds things together, but that he's always been seeking me and wanting relationship with me. So those are moments that, you know, as a child, I don't forget. Absolutely. They've been anchors for me my whole life. And many people believe the opposite, that God is not seeking after them, that he's hard to find, that he's basically hiding from them. But what I'm hearing you say, Norris, is it's the absolute opposite. The absolute opposite. Exactly. Why do you say that? Well, I've experienced it. I could never get out of his presence, no matter how many bad things I did. And because of that, because of that awareness of him and his great love for me, it just became like this anchor for me. So when I was 13, and, and I just want to you know, say this, I, I didn't grow up in a church environment where the Holy Spirit was really much even talked about, except that he was a member of the Trinity. But to actually experience them that way. It just wasn't, you know, in our church experience. So I was really good in sports and the whole performance thing. You know, when you're an, when you're an athlete from one week to the next, you're the hero or the, the goat, right? I mean, it all, it's all based upon your performance that week or even that day, right? And when you're judged by performance and people want to know you because of your performance, it began to dawn on me that the reason people were approaching me was because of this, some success that they saw me having. And I, and I began to withdraw from that because it wasn't real relationship. It was based upon what I could do. That's why people wanted to know me. And so it was at that time. And I was just with a bunch of other, you know, teenage kids. And we just experienced the presence of God falling down on us. And he told me back then, as I was listening to him, he said, Norris, you don't have to be good at sports. You don't have to be handsome. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be popular. I love you. And you don't have to be good at anything. I just want to be with you. And that changed the whole trajectory of my life, that there was no performance-based love in my relationship with the Trinity. They just loved me, and they wanted to be with me. And I didn't have to be good enough somehow to be in their presence. I just was. And that's the core value of my life. Yeah, nothing else comes close to that for me, that I get to be with the Trinity, and I don't have to be good at anything. They just like me. When you heard that, what shifted inside? The need to gain acceptance by performance. Because what it did is it gave me a different view of the people as well, you know, because they didn't really know that about themselves. And so they were looking to build a relationship with what they thought was a successful person. It gave me more compassion and it gave me this huge desire to help everybody know that about themselves. How did you approach that subject with people? My birthday was yesterday, you know, and I, I had a friend from back in the eighth grade who I haven't seen since high school. I haven't even heard from him. And he gets onto my Facebook page and says, happy birthday, Reverend. And I went, Reverend? 
I'm not a reverend. I'm a cherry farmer from Kashmir, Washington. And he said, don't you remember we all called you that back in junior high school? And so I was just thinking back to those times that I didn't really have like methods that I was using, even though I was taught methods of evangelism. I just had a real relationship with the Trinity and it became a part of who I was and I didn't have to really work at it. Things started to change in me and it just came out in my behaviors, I guess, and the way that I spoke or the things that I wouldn't talk about. The, you know, I, I drew lines because of my relationship with, with Jesus. We all know when we cross the line and the more you spend time with the Trinity, you know where those lines are. And, and I think it was just the, the way that I lived that people began to see there's, this is more than just a guy in, who goes to church. This is a guy who actually believes it and, and lives it out. I was the same guy, whether I was playing football or if I was in class or out with them, you know, I just, I just had lines that I wouldn't cross. And I was, wasn't, I wasn't putting them down for it. I was just saying, I just won't do those things. I can't do those things. And I wasn't a perfect child. I got into lots of trouble, all, all of that. But I had a real relationship with eternity from early on in my life. It affected everything. When people approach you, they saw this in you. What kind of questions did you get asked? Do you remember? I'll give you a recent example. One of my neighbors here who lives a few houses down from me, and they became friends even though they were far from the Lord. And he's a contractor, and I so I had him come and help me do some work on my deck. And we were down, out on the deck on our hands and knees using hammers and sanders and drills. And, and he said to me one day, he said, you're the weirdest damn Christian I've ever met. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you, you just act like Jesus is right here. And I said, because he is. And I wasn't trying to witness to him. You, you follow me? I wasn't yeah. sitting there telling him anything. I was just, I guess, in my communication, I just talk about my life. And I can't talk about my life without talking about my relationship with the Trinity. You know, I might say something like, you know, man, I, I heard something so awesome from the Lord this morning. And I'll just lay something like that out there. And most often people say, well, what'd you hear? And, and I'll tell them, you know, and I, I, it's just, this is what Jesus was saying to me today. This is what God was saying to me today. And so my neighbor says, you're a Bible guy. He says, my, my wife's got a Bible question. And he said, okay, if she comes over, I said, sure. So my Lori, my wife brought us some tea and I'm sitting in the chair and she comes up and she's, and I had no idea what question she was going to ask me, but I, I tell you, I wasn't prepared for this question because it was kind of way out there. She goes, so who are the Nephilim? And in my head, I'm going, what in the world is this all about? So I'm talking about what I know about the Nephilim or what that means. But in my head, I'm praying right then. I'm just asking God. I said, God, what is it that she really needs to know right now? What do you want to say to her? And let me pause here. If you could explain yeah. to our listeners what the Nephilim were. They're mentioned just a couple times in the Old Testament, and they were the great men of old. Who And, and what it was, from my understanding, was demonic spirits that took the form of men and had relationships with women. And there was this race of supermen, I guess, basically you know, giant, giants. giant, yeah, yeah, giants in the land. And, and uh, so I was telling her that I said, you know, there's a lot of different ideas of who they were and 
then I just paused and I said, so, but I think what God really wants you to know right now is that he really thinks you're a good mom. And he really, really loves the way you're trying to be a good mom. And he loves you. And she just starts crying and says, how did you know that? I said, I didn't. I said, but I asked God and that's what he said, told me to tell you. That catalyst of that moment that my wife began to spend time with her, I spent time with her husband, and they both got baptized a month ago, and they're in our, our small group. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and it was it was just simply asking God what needs to be said or what not what doesn't need to be said and doing it in the moment. And so that's kind of the way that I've always approached things with my friends, with people I meet, with people I've worked with, what is it that Jesus wants us to talk about right now? What is? How does Jesus view what's going on right now? Now, I'm not perfect at that, you know, and I, I have a lot of responses in my own strength, but I always know it. I always know it when I'm not listening to God moment by moment. I know when I, I move into my own wisdom or my own strength. For me, it's this urgent kind of sense of anxious striving. It's not, mm-hmm. not necessarily super overt, but you can feel it. So with respect to being able to hear the voice of God, I am sure many people listening to this are saying, oh my goodness, I would love to hear the voice of God like that, Norris. How do you counsel people to move into a place in their life and their relationship with the Lord to do that? Yeah, I, I do this a lot with people. I just ask God to start speaking to them. I always start out with binding my mind, just like you did as we began to bind our minds with the mind of Christ, to silence in the authority of Jesus all other voices, because the enemy is the only one who traffics in lies. God only traffics in the truth. We know from Scripture, and there are just many, many passages that talk about God speaking, Jesus speaking, Holy Spirit speaking. And so we just look at a few of those passages that my sheep hear my voice. All sheep hear their voice, not just the big sheep, even the little sheep. And we're, and we're really all little sheep. We're, we fool ourselves into thinking that we're the big sheep. And, we, and I start with two simple basic premises, that the enemy lies to us in two ways, the curses of men and the praises of men are both used by the enemy to actually keep us from knowing who we really are. But we start there. What what are some of the negative uh, beliefs you've ever believed about yourself? Mm-hmm. What, what When's the most recent time you believed that about yourself? When was the first time you believed that about yourself? And then we just start asking Jesus to speak into those moments. Jesus was there because here, another passage we look at, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Our sin can't. The enemy can't. Nothing can separate us from his love. That means he's always been with us every moment of our life, whether we know him or not. And so then we just start asking them to be in God's presence and view that memory or that recent Jesus was there. What was Jesus doing in Mm. that moment? Because we believe God redeems the imagination. You know, we want everything to be rational and be able to fit into our agenda or our lists. And he doesn't. He can't be contained by those things. And so let's ask Jesus where he was at in that moment. What was he saying to you? And 
the other day I was coaching this man and, and we were in this process and he goes, you know, I'm, I'm getting nothing. And so I could have gone in and tried to explain to him why he wasn't getting anything. That's our typical response. We need to make up the slack for Jesus. <laughs> oh man, that is such a true statement. <laughs> yeah. And so I just said, Jesus, would you tell this man why he's getting nothing? And because I'm asking Jesus to speak. I want him to speak about everything. And he, he immediately says, I'm afraid. I said, Jesus, would you just tell him what he's afraid of? And he said, I'm afraid I'm not going to do it right. So here in the midst of being in God's presence, what pops up? The same thing for all performance anxiety. Is there a certain way I got to say this? Do I have to be in a certain posture? What if I don't get it right? Like somehow hearing God's voice is dependent upon me. And so I, I just said, Jesus, would you just talk to him about this fear? And he just began to weep on, on the Zoom call saying, I've, I've always been afraid because I, I was told at a young age that you'll never be good enough. You're a failure. So he, now he, here he is in his 50s and he's still dealing with things, lies and curses that were put on him when he was a child that you're, you're just never quite going to be quite good enough. It's up to you and it's and you can't do it. Wow. So in the midst of talking with Jesus, Jesus revealed this fear and it was one of the curses that he had written down. I'm afraid that I, I will not measure up. So in the process of just us spending time together with Jesus, Jesus revealed that to him. And then I said, now just, I want you just to give that fear to Jesus. And, and Jesus, would you give him something in return for that fear? And again, he's just feeling things and he's experiencing the love of Jesus telling him, you've always been good enough for me. I've never, ever once thought of you as a failure or that you're not good enough. And so that's for us, that's what we call confession. Tell God the truth. It's not listing this big, long list of I'm sorry. Just tell God the truth. This is what you're feeling. I'm afraid or I'm ashamed. And then we just ask Jesus to start speaking to him about what he thinks about them and just write down whatever is the first thing that comes to your mind. And then God just faithfully speaks to them about who they really are. You're my son. You're my beloved. I will always be with you. I was doing this in Uganda. I was actually on a Zoom call recently with a whole bunch of Ugandans. And one of the young men who was on the call, he said, right when you asked Jesus for me to look for Jesus, he said, a lion appeared in my room. And I said, so Jesus, would you tell Raymond, that's what his name was. So would you tell Raymond why you appeared to him as a lion? And he said, he's telling me he's always been with me as the lion. He's always loved me. And then he just confessed to the group, I'm a bastard child, and I've never, ever felt loved or wanted by anyone. And I said, Jesus, would you just tell him what you think of him? And the lion spoke to him saying, I've always loved you. I will always be with you. I've always been with you. I, I said, so Jesus, would you give Raymond a name? Would you tell him what he is? And he says, Raymond, you're going to be my ambassador of love. So it was the exact opposite of the lie of the enemy, the curses of men, that you're unlovable. You don't know how to be loved. And God says, no, 
Raymond, you're going to be my ambassador of love. So the, the curses of men is what we first deal with. Then we deal with the praises of men. And this one actually is harder for us to deal with because these are the things we like about ourselves. These are things we get paid for. This is what we get praises for. And they feel good. You know, I'm CEO, I'm taxi driver, I'm pastor, I'm missionary. And we develop these false identities based upon a role that we have or a job that we're doing. And they can be just as deceptive, but harder to get rid of because we like them. So we spend some time. What are the things that you have ever used as an identity that actually you like? It doesn't mean you stop doing these things. It's just that that's not who you are. And then we go through that same process. So what does Jesus say that you are? Because when I go back to you know my life as a teenager and my father telling me, because I, you know, I, I was very successful, got scholarship offers to play football all over. And he used to say, don't read your press clippings, Norris. <laughs> and you, you've heard that before. He says, you're not just a football player. He said, you bring who you are to the field. The game never defines you. Your job doesn't define you. You bring who you are to whatever you're doing, whether you're cleaning toilets or you're speaking in front of people. And he made me memorize those verses in Colossians. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all as unto the Lord, not as unto men. And those just became anchors because it doesn't matter. We're the ones that feel shame. The enemy wants us to feel shame because maybe our job is not as good as somebody else's. And... You know, you get into a room and people are all, you know, we say, well, this is what I do. And yeah. pretty soon it comes to, comes to you and you're going, man, I don't even want to tell them what I do. You know, how did I get in this room? Because we start comparing ourselves to others. And whenever you're in a comparison mode or competing mode, you're in enemy territory. He's the one that wants us to do that, to either make us feel good about ourselves because I'm not like that other person or feel bad about myself because I wish I was like these other people. What have you found to be the most profound way to get rid of, to shed those praises? Because as I write in my journal, I write down the things that I feel like I'm good at, but that's not who I am based on what you're that's saying. Right. So how do you make that shift, that mind shift to receive your true identity? So the confession piece is telling God the truth. And that includes Jesus, I have been loving this identity as, and you just fill in the blank. Tell them the truth. I have enjoyed the praises of men. So on the other side of confession is the repentance. And the repentance is now I am going to choose, because you made this statement, I'm going to choose to believe what Jesus says about me. And it's and, and this is something that we have to, you know, the old adage, you play how you practice. Yeah. And if I'm practicing for 50 years living in a false identity, it doesn't change overnight. But once I know, once I've heard from God himself, from Jesus himself, from Holy Spirit, who I am, the moment I start feeling myself falling back into either the, the lies that are curses or the lies that are praises, then I start confessing it moment by moment. And this creates the praying without ceasing reality. Because I, I, it's going to happen moment by moment throughout every day because I've been playing a certain way for a long time. And to actually choose to believe what Jesus says about me is a new way of playing. And I got to practice it because I'm not good at it. 
That's not been my MO up till now. And so this, this, especially when you do it in the, in the course of a team or, uh, or the body of Christ or in community, and you actually learn your identity within a community or a relationship with other people, now people know who you are too. And so the accountability is different. It's not like, you know, so what have you been thinking about this week? How's your thought life? It's more, what have you been hearing from God about who you are? What else has he been saying to you? And so in this moment by moment, learning how to play different means I have to practice different. Yeah. And so when those lies come back in and I realize I've spent the last four hours not even aware of what Jesus is saying. I'm not even communicating with him. I, I'm just living in this false identity. And, and so there are a couple of indicators that occur when we've kind of reverted back to some kind of false identity. Whenever I find myself in a self-protection or a self-promoting, because why do I have to protect myself or promote myself in Christ? I don't have to. My security isn't what other people say or do. It's in what he says. I spent 14 years working at a home for juvenile delinquent boys. And whatever their presenting problem was, whether it was drugs, problems at home, with the law, school. We wanted to help them with those presenting problems, but we made it very clear from the beginning, helping you with these problems is not going to be the focus. The focus is going to be on you finding out who you are and whose you are so that all of these lies that have been told to you, you can begin to say, nope, that's not me anymore. This is who Jesus says I am. I am who God says I am. And that's the moment-by-moment conversation that we're having with the Trinity. Ah, I I was believing those lies again. You know, that's not me anymore. This is who I am. And the repentance is that I choose again to believe what Jesus says about me. And I don't have to feel ashamed. God never shames us. We're the ones that shame people. God never shames us. He's always drawing us into a love relationship with him. That's where the action is. That's where the real action is in life, is in a face-to-face relationship with the Trinity. You use the word frequently, choose. We have to choose to reprogram. Like you said, it could be 50 years of programming and playing a certain way, like you stated. Mm -hmm. And Lord, help us. Help us choose wisely in believing Mm -hmm who you say we are. Yeah. And when we fail at it, there's no shame. And so when we start feeling shame, when we start feeling anxiety, when we start feeling fear, we know that's always the enemy. That's always his voice. Fear, shame, anxiety, death, depression. That's the enemy's voice because Jesus is never doing that. He never talks to us that way. And so people will say, well, you know, I'm hearing a voice, but it doesn't doesn't really sound like God. I said, well, it's because it's not. He doesn't come to you and shame you. Mm, That's so good. Tell me, what springs to mind as one of the most profound transitions you've experienced in coaching somebody? Please share an example. Love to hear it. My wife and I have been missionaries now for 35 years or so. You know, when you first start out, you know, you feel all this excitement and this pressure. You know, I've, I've got to perform and we've got to see results. And there needs to be a return on this investment that people are making in you as a missionary. And so you learn all the methods and the styles and 
I think one of the most transforming moments in my life for sure was understanding what's God's job and what's my job. So this passage in John 6, 43, 44, and 45, it's that passage, stop grumbling among yourselves. And then it says something so profound. It says, everyone who hears and learns from God comes to Jesus. It doesn't say everyone who hears and learns from Norris comes to Jesus. Mm. And it was this flipping of the script, really. This is God's job to bring people to his son. So what if evangelism, what if missions was simply setting the table for God to speak? Mm-hmm. Full stop. Set the table for God to speak. Because it says everyone who hears and learns from God comes to him. That's a pretty good track record. Yeah. How do you set the table? How do you set the table? And so for me, I think, okay, I got to have the method to set God's t- the table. Right. But it was different as I looked through how Jesus talked to everybody. I mean, he only used the born again thing once, at least as far as we know. He didn't talk about relationships with the rich young ruler, and he didn't talk about money to the woman at the well. So how did Jesus do that? Because he said he, he only did and he only said what he heard the father telling him to do and say. So that it just became this freshness of what it really means to set God's table set the table for God to speak was a moment by moment thing. I didn't even have to know going in. I could ask him in the moment. And that's when things started to change and the pressure was gone. The pressure to perform as a missionary was gone. It's not my job. My job is simply set the table for God to speak in this moment with this person. How do I do that? I got to ask him. I wrote this down halfway through our conversation today. You address the situation in real time. Real time. Yep. Yeah. You can't pre-plan for that stuff, can you? No, because you don't know what that person is going through, but God does. You can ask him. He speaks. You know, I do a lot of flying internationally and you know how you sit people and conversations start. And I always introduce myself as a cherry farmer from Washington because I do. We have a little small organic cherry orchard up here in the state of Washington because everybody will talk to a farmer. If I introduce myself as a missionary or, you know, CEO, it it immediately puts people on the defense. There's this one-upsmanship that tries to do that. And and I just talk about simple things, simple things from what I'm learning on the farm. Like, for example, this one aspect of being an orchardist is you have to prune the trees every year. And you have to prune away, and we call these branches, they're called suckers. And these suckers grow every year and they don't produce fruit. They just grow really beautiful leaves and you have to do it every year. And so I'll talk about something like that. So simple. And it always builds the conversation because everybody's got suckers in their life. <laughs> well, how, do you, how do you do that? And, and someone will say, well, so are you a Christian? And I never say yes, because I have no idea what they think a Christian is. And if I say, yes, I'm agreeing with what they already think a Christian is. So I'll say, well, what do you mean by a Christian? I want them to tell me. And then I can say, nope, that's not me. So each moment, there's always going to be something that emerges in the conversation. And if we're listening to God in the midst of the conversation without this pressure that I've got to win this person to Christ before we land versus God, what do you want to say to this person right now? I've been virtually speechless in this conversation, 
taking notes. I've loved everything you've shared. Thank you so much for doing so. I'd like to finish up here, Norris, by asking you to please pray for our listeners. Mm, I'd love to. Father, I just thank you for the tenderness of your voice. You always know the right thing to say and do. You're never afraid. You're never confused. You're never wondering what to do next. You're never scratching your head in dismay. You're always at peace. And in your presence, we can experience that peace and that joy and that acceptance and that love that we all are longing for. So would you just pour out your love on the people that are listening right now? Would you just tell them what you think about them? Would you reveal the lies that they've ever believed about themselves that the enemy has them all chained up with and his only objective is to kill them, to destroy them, to steal what you have planned for them? Every person on this planet is so loved by you. There's no low person or high person in your economy. You love us all, and all of your sheep can hear your voice. So I bless each one listening with the a renewed ability that God wants to speak his loving truth to you, and that you would just get into their presence and bind your mind to their mind and cast aside the lies and listen. They want to speak to you. They want for you to know how much they love you, how special you are to them, each one of you. So I bless you right now in the name of Jesus that you would experience their presence and their love and their joy in you. And I bless you with this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Norris, thank you so much for being on the program. It was profound. Well, Brian, thank you for asking me. I really appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.